So I am, I'm very grateful. I, I do have an opportunity today. We started a, uh, we started a new sermon series a couple weeks ago called God Is, and we're covering the different attributes of God. And uh, so I asked um, one of our deacons, Rick Williams, if he would share uh, today. And so he is sharing part two in this series called God Is Loving. Now, Rick has been a family friend of ours for a very long time. His parents, Max and Carolyn Williams, have been friends of our family for a very, very long time back in our old Brazewood days, late 80s. And, uh, of course, I was very young then, um, so uh, I, I only knew them just in name, and now I've been able to be their pastor, and it's a huge honor uh, to me because they are such incredibly wonderful people, and uh, Rick has become a wonderful friend, and so I am very, very uh, honored uh, to share the pulpit with him today. So would you welcome Rick as he comes and shares this morning? Thanks. Good morning. Well, as Pastor said, um, we've started this series called God Is, and I'm speaking on God Is Loving. And there, in your bulletin, you'll find a uh, little note sheet that if you want to follow along, there's some blanks to fill in and places to take notes. So... Uh, serving a loving God is at the very heart of our Christian life. And we spend our lifetimes getting to know God more intimately, getting to know Him better. And I just want to share with you a few things that I've learned, to, and in some cases things that I'm still learning. And... Uh, I hope that you hear something today that will be useful to you in strengthening your relationship with God. As we come to know God in a continually deeper level, we also get to see how great his love for us is and how limitless it is. We know God loves us and gave his son Jesus to reconcile us to him and deliver us from sin. And when we were first saved, we understood that God loved us and had forgiven us our sins and that we had a place with him in heaven. But some people think that when they receive their salvation, I've made peace with God and I'm good. They miss out on getting to know how loving God is because they don't pursue it any further. That's just the beginning of our salvation. And from this point forward, with God, our relationship with God is to become more intimate. And it's important that we get to know him for who he is and what our relationship should be with him. God desires that we get to know him as a loving God. We in the church often speak of God as a loving father, and we are often referred to in the Bible as his children. This may be an aspect of God in modern society that for many holds no appeal or has no frame of reference due to the number of fatherless homes today. Um, in many homes across America, a father figure is absent, so when we talk about God as a loving father, it just doesn't connect. In some homes, it's even worse because there was a father present, but it was a bad father. And when they think, think of the term father, they 
remember verbal abuse or sometimes physical abuse. And so when we witness to people and they come to God, they have no frame of reference for what a loving father looks like. And so God is ready to step into the lives of these people and show them what a loving father really is. He's ready to fill the void that they had as children. Our salvation through Jesus has justified us before God, but that is where the restored relationship with God just begins. This is knowing God's forgiveness, but his love for us goes beyond that, and we get to know God as Father. And we are the ones who have to show the world what a loving Father really looks like. For some people have the image of a vengeful and judgmental God who waits for them to make a mistake and fail. God is just and does want us to be obedient and faithful to him, but even when he is our judge, he does it in a loving and righteous way. God has always been a loving God. We can see this from the beginning, starting with Adam and Eve. Many times we look at this story only to see God as judge and on the surface wrathful, driving Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. But look at what God did before this happened, the links that he went to to establish relationships with us. If we go to the beginning of Genesis, we see God's plan for us was to be in fellowship with him in the Garden of Eden, God created a paradise and he gave it to mankind to be a place for us to live and to be in relationship with him. Genesis 1, through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that may, he may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is number one on your little sheet here. God created man in his own image so that he, we could be with him in the garden and establish relationships with him. God gave the garden to Adam and Eve, and he was happy to do it. He intended it to be a place for us to care for and a place for us to enjoy. God didn't create the Garden of Eden just so he'd have a nice place to kick us out of. In Genesis 2.2, we see by the seventh, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work, all of the work of creating he had done. God also created the day of rest for us to relax and enjoy being in his presence. At a time, and a time for us to focus our attention on and be reminded of 
the fact that he's always watching over us and caring for us. We as human beings need the rest to restore our bodies physically. God didn't rest because he was tired. He's God. He didn't need physical rest. This was the kind of rest that is like an artist when he finishes a painting and he puts the brush down and looks at his work and sees that it has every stroke it needs. It doesn't need one more stroke of the brush. It's finished and it's perfect. And you don't reach that point unless you're satisfied, pleased with what you've done, and now you want to enjoy the finished product. And that was us and the place that he made to be with us, the garden. So we look at the first four chapters of Genesis, and usually the takeaway is the fall of man, Adam and Eve being banished from the garden, the garden wasn't just intended for Adam and Eve. It was intended to be the beginning of mankind's ongoing relationship with God. God loved Adam so much that he gave the, the, him the garden and everything in it, and he wanted it to be a place where we could fellowship with him and get to know him. God intended us to have a relationship with him face-to-face -face on a daily basis. Genesis 3.8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden on the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Well, aside from the fact that they were hiding from God, but it also tells us that God was coming down at the end of the day to walk with them and have fellowship with them to be with them and spend time with them and just enjoy being with them. It was our sin that separated us from this intimate relationship with God. Even though Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God, he still tried to provide covering for their sin when he covered their nakedness with the skins of animals. Their sins were atoned for by God himself, but the consequences were set in place. And so this brings us to this number one on the sheet. God has been loving us and trying to restore us to him ever since. So that first blank is to restore us to him. We see this even in the time of the Israelites being held captive in Egypt. When he promised to bring them out of Egypt and take them to the promised land, he promised to free them from captivity and take them to a place where he had prepared for them. Exodus 3.17 says, And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Even then, his goal was still to bless his people and to show his love for them, but as in the Garden of Eden, it was ultimately our disobedience that separated us from him. God freed Israel from Egypt and led them through the wilderness to the promised land, the whole way performing miracles, protecting and providing for them. It was only a year after the Israelites had left Egypt that they arrived in Canaan, and they sent the spies in to report on the land. 
the spies came back and reported that the land was filled with giants and they, they were like grasshoppers in their sight. And even though they had seen God drown the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea, provide water from a rock, provide manna and quail for them to eat in the desert, they rebelled and were too fearful to go in and take the land that God had promised to give them. He had promised to just give it to them. Leviticus 20.24 said, But I said to you, you will possess their land, and I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. The result of their rebelliousness was that they wandered in the wilderness for the next 40 years. God ultimately led them to the promised land and gave it to them just as he said he would. He loved Israel so much that he wanted them to have a place of abundance, but the rebelliousness kept them wandering in the wilderness. They could have walked into Canaan 40 years earlier, but God because God's reputation had gone before them. Everyone had heard about the Egyptian army being drowned in the Red Sea and the other miracles that God had performed on behalf of the Israelites. So when they arrived, the people were so scared, all they had to do was walk in and possess the land. But the people, the Israelites, disobeyed. They rebelled. And the people can, but 40 years later when they finally did arrive, the people of Canaan had been still retelling those stories of how mighty God was. And even then, 40 years later, they walked in and possessed the land. So going back a second here, why are we referred to in the Bible as the children of God? Well, that's the best way to approach the kingdom of God, with childlike faith. By the time we become adults, we have acquired lots of baggage, formed preconceived notions about God, and even when we become Christians, there's a lot that we have to unpack. A child puts his trust in God and believes that God can do anything and will do what he says he will do. My son Joshua was born with... uh, only four fingers on his right hand. And he used to get teased and picked at a lot when he was a kid. And it really, as his dad, it just really was upsetting to me how much he was picked on for that. But more than that, one night Valerie was uh, tucking him into bed and he looked up at her and said, I think he was around three, he said, God, he said, Dad, can put my finger back on if he wants to. And later she told me about that, and it really it really broke my heart because he had faith in me to do the one thing that I couldn't do. That was that childlike faith, and it is powerful. So when we put our faith in God that way, he has no limitations. There's nothing he can't do. So... There, was a, there were two incidents in the Bible where Jesus became angry. One was the temple with the money changers, and the other was over children. The 
money changers were in the temple and they were selling animals to be used as sacrifices to God. But if you brought your own animal from your farm, from, uh, uh, from your own farm, or you bought it from someplace other than the temple, it turns out that it wouldn't pass the inspection and wouldn't be acceptable to be used as a sacrifice to God. So basically, it was a scam between the priests and the merchants. And they were price gouging, as we would call it today. So the people who came to the temple were being taken advantage of. And Jesus saw this, and the, he became very angry over that. And it wasn't just impulsiveness or in the heat of anger, but the Bible says he sat down to make a whip. Well, a whip's not something you just do in two, three minutes. You know, you got to put some work into it. And I could see Jesus sitting there the whole time going, this is not going to stand in my house. We're not going to have this. So he got up with the whip and, and turned in, started turning over their tables and driving them out of the, the temple. So the other incident that angered Jesus was when the disciples tried to keep little children from coming to him. Jesus loved children, and his disciples didn't want him to be bothered, so they were trying to keep the children from coming and approaching him. And Mark 10 says he was indignant. So what we're seeing is that Jesus would become angry over those in power trying to prevent those who had no power from approaching him. Standing in the way or impeding them developing their relationship with God. So as his children, he wants us to come to him with all of our concerns, all of our needs, and ask him for help with everything in our lives. And when we do this, he knows that we trust him with everything. And this brings us to number two on your sheet. God loves, God's love goes far beyond caring for our needs and blessing us the Bible says he delights in us and enjoys being with us. So that blank is he delights in us. It's difficult for some people, some Christians, to accept that he enjoys us. Some Christians think that God is tolerating me. He's just letting me in. They never get to know how loving God is and never get to grow an intimate relationship with him. They never understand how much God wants to be with them and walk with them through life every day. In Zephaniah, God says to Israel, I chose you, I picked you, and I delight in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, and in his love will no longer rebuke you. Rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. That's an amazing thing to know, that God rejoices over us. God delights in his people who are seeking after him and loving him. When we know it in our hearts, God is excited to see us and be with us. Then we, when we get up in the morning, we want to go to his word and see what he has for us today. 
when we know God loves us and enjoys being with us, it becomes easier to follow his will. Sin starts to have less power and influence and becomes less of a draw. The result is that we become even closer to God. As our relationship with God becomes deeper, we begin to know him as a loving father. We have been adopted into sonship with God, and he has made us heirs with Jesus, and he delights in his children. Romans eight fifteen through 17 says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So, God spells it out. We are heirs and joint heirs of his kingdom. Recipients of his blessings and love. As his children, he wants us to come with him with all of our concerns and all of our needs and ask him for help in everything that we struggle with. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Only a father who loves us so completely would make that invitation. A father who wants to be so intimately involved in our lives that he says, bring your problems to me and I will help you. Just cast your cares upon me and I will give you rest. Once we turn over all of our burdens, cares, and worries to him, we are free to rejoice in him and he rejoices with us. He will give you rest no matter what burden you carry, no matter what you feel like is weighing you down. And it applies to us no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, whether we've been Christians for five minutes or 50 years, it still applies. So Jesus clearly demonstrates the love of the Father in Luke chapter 15. And that was number, I believe, number three on your sheet. Four? Four. Okay. Uh, first, we see that we belong to the Father. And then the latter part, we see the Father's limitless love for us. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see that the faithful shepherd who goes out and searches for the lost sheep. And the Father tells us that he rejoices over finding the one lost sheep or sinner and putting it on his shoulders, he carries it home and invites his neighbors to celebrate with him. Luke 15, 3 through 7 says, Then Jesus told them the parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety and nine and go into the open country after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, 
there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We then see that the woman who lost the coin diligently searches for it until it's found, and she invites her neighbors to celebrate with her over finding the coin. In Luke 15, 8 through 9, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In these two parables, we see that the sheep and the coin belong to the shepherd and the woman, respectively. Something can't be lost if it doesn't already belong to someone. Every person belongs to God, and the proof is that we bear his image. We are made in his image, and God, made in the image of God, and have belonged to him ever since he breathed the breath of life into Adam. That's why we have such a precious value to God. No matter every homeless person or every rich person, sinner or saved, is equally valued by God. And whenever one of us that was lost is found, the Father rejoices. So, in the parable of the prodigal son, that's probably one of Jesus' most famous parables. And another name for it might have been the good father. One of the sons asked for his, his portion of the inheritance to be given to him immediately. And he promptly takes his inheritance, packs his belongings, and leaves. He goes to another country where he begins living a wild life and partying and just wasting his money. And before long, he realizes that he's dead broke. No money to buy food, no more money to party. And, he find, and he's so desperate for food at this point that he takes a job feeding pigs. He's even so desperate that he's wanting to eat the food that he's having to feed to the pigs. And Jesus is telling this parable to a crowd of Jews. And this, to them, there wouldn't be anything more detestable than even you know, being associated with pigs in any way, much less taking care of them. So the farmer who owns the pigs won't let the son eat the food for the pigs because it's just for the pigs, and you're on your own. The son thinks to himself that even the servants in my father's house have food to eat, clean clothes to wear, and a roof over their heads. If I go back to my father and tell him that I'm no longer worthy to be called his son, maybe he'll let me become, come back as a servant in his house. So the son sets out for home. And in Luke 15, 20, we see that the father has been watching for this son's return every day, looking for him with great anticipation. Luke 15 through 24 says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine that was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So the son comes home thinking that he's going to be reduced to being a servant in his father's house. And the father is looking down the road watching for him to return. And he's looking with great expectancy, just watching for him to come over the horizon. And the father is waiting for full and complete restoration of the father-son relationship, that, and he will provide nothing less than that. When the father sees the son in the distance, he instantly knows it's him, and he runs to meet him on the way. The father hugged him and kissed him, and put his finest clothes on him. But most significant is that the father put the ring on the son's finger. It's a signet ring. And that meant that the son was authorized to do business on the father's behalf, and that he was a, an heir to the family fortune again. And they began to celebrate the son's return with a feast. As the celebration of the son's return is going on, the man's other son comes back to the house and he hears the commotion going on. And he begins to realize that my black sheep brother has come back and of all things, they're throwing him a party. Luke 15, 28 through 32 says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. And my son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. The older brother is angry at his father because of his wrong and preconceived notions about his father. The father tells his son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. The father loved both sons, but... At the end of the story, we see that neither one of them knew him or knew his heart toward them. He was willing to give them all that he had. One of them wasted the gifts he was given, and the other one didn't believe the father would give him what he asked for. In Psalms 84.11, it says, for, God, for the Lord God is the sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. 
God has given us the gift of being His children. Joint heirs just like the sons of the rich men in the parable. Once we understand the full extent of our adoption by the Father, it will change our motives in serving Him. When we understand that God delights in us, it changes how we read the Bible. We want to know more about Him and know who He is. It will change how we pray. And when we know that God the Father delights in us coming to Him, knowing how deeply God loves us, it changes our motivation, the motivation of our actions from trying to appease a judge to running to God as Abba Father. We we desire to serve Him out of love that is reciprocated from Him to us and back. We have to ask ourselves, are we serving Him out of love or are we serving Him out of fear? When we come to know God through salvation and give ourselves completely to Him, we are made holy. How can we as fallen human beings be made holy? Only by God. It is a work that He performs in us through the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make for us on the cross. A sacrifice that could only be made out of complete, unconditional love. When Jesus opened the door for us to all become part of God's family and Jesus proudly stands before God and calls us brothers and sisters in his family. Hebrews 2, 10 through 13 says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly, and I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Would the praise team come up now, please? Many of you are parents, so if you could think back for a moment to a time when your child was sitting on your lap and you all were sitting together talking and just enjoying each other. Now think, is there someone that you love as much that you would offer your only son or your only daughter as a sacrifice to guarantee that this person would no longer be separated from you. God the Father loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus, his one and only son, to pay the price for our sin and reconcile us to him. God loves us so much that he gave everything he had to open the door and make a way for us to be with him. Just like the parable told us, the father told his sons, everything I have is yours. Could you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. 
Father, I pray that everyone hearing this message today will grow stronger in their walk with you and come to know your love more fully. To experience the love and grace that you have lavished on us in a way that transforms all of our relationships. That knowing your love intimately shows through in our lives every day and changes how we worship and serve you. Let your, let your love be the motivating force of how we share you with others. Father, keep your hand on each of us today as we leave. In Jesus' name I pray.